Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm John Holmes, and each week myself, Mark Haynes, and a guest sit and discuss and analyse some television. So far, so podcast. But the difference is that we discuss a particular corner of television that you've never watched, and nor will you ever, because it's awful. That's right, it's TV's The One Show. Join us as we gleefully take it apart every week, taking a deep dive into TV's shallowest programme. You don't have to like The One Show or have ever seen it. To be honest, it's probably best if you don't and haven't. So join us as we take the bullet for you in what The Guardian says, the creme de la creme of obscure stuff to stick in your ears, the big issue called really funny and pop bitch right is a joy. The The One Show Show, wherever you... Oh, you know the rest. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um... <laughs> Chart music. <laughs> Chart music. <laughs> Crazy youngsters, and welcome to the latest episode of Chart Music, the podcast that gets its hands right down the back of the settee on a random episode of Top of the Pops. I'm your host, Al Needham, and by my side today are Taylor Parks and rock expert David Stubbs. Howdy doody. Boys, the pop things, the interesting things. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me now. Well, um... There is one little thing. Um, Ooh. At the Shepherd's Bush Empire, Scrissy Politi were playing. Oh, fucking hell, yeah. And David probably didn't go, when in fact he did. He did. I went to a oh, gig. Oh, fucking yes. Yeah, it was, well, it, it, it was a gig. It was, it was Scrissy Politi. It was pretty immaculate. Hung around near the back, you know. I didn't really want to sort of join the throng at the front. I uh, thought that might be a bit much. Mm. It's funny, though. I mean, I was probably about average age. Yeah. <laughs> at one point, uh, Green from the stage said something about, um, anyone here remember student grants? I think everyone would not only remember <laughs> student grants, but even had one. Um, I mean, John Peel talking at one point about, um, you know, he felt self-conscious being at a gig, being 40 years old a rock gig I mean god even if it was a 40 year old there now he'd say hey kid what are you doing you weren't even born when Sweetest Girl came out yeah you know it's too unlimited doing a uh, gig around the corner fuck off yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, shouldn't you be playing with your Nintendo game and what <laughs> It must be fucking weird going back to gigs, though, David. I was a little phased, and I'll be honest, I won't be hurrying back, you know. But I tended to go to sort of free improv gigs anyway, and there was no problem socially distancing at them, I can assure you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, something where there's a throng, a sweaty, adoring throng. Yeah, I'm still Mm. a little bit wary of that. Taylor? Yeah, you know, I'm all right. Same as usual. The only interesting thing that happened to me was the other day, I was out and about, and what with one thing and another, uh, had to have a piss. So without wanting to give away 
too much detail. I went into a toilet. Mm. And as I was there, in the process, I heard the door behind me fly open. <gasps> Someone pushed past, threw themselves onto the floor in front of me, just sort of sprawled there with their eyes and mouth Fuck. open, uh-huh. at pushing their face into uh, a now unstoppable torrent of piss. Uh, <gasps> just getting totally drenched with this sort of blissful look on their face. I thought, wait a minute, I recognise that white hair and (laughs) that sort of long, bobbly nose and horsey face, you know, like (laughs) the crown and the the, the orb and scepter. I thought, fuck, it's the fucking queen. I I thought, I didn't expect that. Incredible. Um, I mean, it wasn't even a very nice toilet. You know, it was only in Stratford-Westfield. But you know what? You say what you like about the Queen. She looks so regal. You can't buy that sort of breeding. <laughs> Made me so proud and grateful to be British. So afterwards, I washed my hands and I went outside and straight away I got my phone out and I rang a couple of my friends and I mm. said, you won't believe what's just happened to me. And I was right, <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> and it struck me. It's so hard to share anything with your friends. Mm. Because this is the thing. This is the experience of everyday life. That that separation and that that screaming gulf between your experiences and your private world and those of the only people that you have to turn to. And all you can do is try to bridge that gap with words and stories. And mm. to a greater or lesser extent, you always fail. And that's how I feel all the time so this was just another day i forgot all about it i went home i got on with my ship in a bottle but i tell you what she's still the best diplomat we've got (laughs) she works harder than what you do or i do or the rest of this country and anyone who criticizes her ought to be removed from the discussion i say Mm. i say god bless you mom (laughs) and uh see you again next thursday (laughs) Yeah, oh, indeed. Actually, I, there was a couple of other things, actually, rock and roll related, oh, because, you know, there's there's not a lot of rock in my life, I sometimes think. Which is wrong for a rock expert, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, my daughter Alicia went to um, her first gig. Oh. She went to, um, yeah, she went to Reading. Um, it was it was very strange, and, of course, there's all that kind of sort of paternal concern, you know, for um, a teenage daughter, um, you know, yomping off to these uh, dubious uh, vortex of sleaze and what have you. But, um, no, and, you know, it's weird. I mean, she showed me some of the videos and you know she's just like shivering in his videos i'm cold i haven't slept in 48 hours i haven't been to the toilet in three days Uh you know it's just like you know please just pay the ransom (laughs) um but she absolutely loved it you know i just said i'd take a jumper next time but otherwise yeah do it again you know Mm. why i i I just never went through this phase i think i just went straight from childhood to whatever i am now really i didn't have this kind of intermittent period where something like that would remotely appeal to me no the other thing was that when I looked at the, like, the lineup, apart from Stormzy, I didn't recognise any of the no. names. You know, it was just like Emily Bland, you know, <laughs> Rob Real, you know, um, <laughs> Tyler, the XXX, privately educated, or whatever. You know, it's very strange <laughs> listening to that kind of music when Alicia plays with it. And it seems to me there's there's no euphoria anymore. There's no, no banging euphoria. It, it all seems to sort of vacillate between melancholia and fury. Uh, and they seem to be the sort of two dominant motifs. But then again, as I'm talking, I feel like, you know, J.B. Priestley talking about rock and roll music or something like that, you know. Yes. 
no, Ted Rogers talking about Mick Jagger, you know, I'm mean, completely <laughs> out of touch, basically. And, and the only other rock and roll thing that happened to me was um, I went up north. I sort of see my dad. He's not doing too well at the moment. Oh. And um, just turned 86. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Yeah, I had to go, go out and do his, his window cleaner. And, uh, you know, he got chatty. And he was pretty chatty. But, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't George Formby. You know, he wasn't strumming a ukulele. You know, mm. he was uh, quite erudite in his tastes. You know, he was talking about Tangerine Dream. Fucking know, hell. Just, there were pioneers. There were pioneers. Tangerine Dream. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. And um, who else? Yeah, Kraftwerk, you know. And he said, yeah, yeah, Kraftwerk. There were, there were pioneers. There were pioneers. <laughs> and it went on to um, The Who. And um, yeah, and he said, yeah, yeah. You know what? You know what they were? I think <laughs> I can guess. Pioneers. They were pioneers. You know? And it just occurred to me that, like, yeah, we need window cleaners, no doubt about it. But we do also need, um, contrary to a lot of opinion, music journalists. You know, we mm. need just that supply of language, you know, I think. Otherwise, you know, it's either pioneers or, of course, iconic. Yes. Um, so there you go. You know, even if you're into the music, you might not necessarily have the language. Yeah. Yeah, I've only got one pop and interesting thing to impart this episode, but it's very pop, and fuck me, it's interesting. Ooh. Now, we all have this conversation over Skype, don't we? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. okay, in that case, I'm just going to put my video camera on, mm-hmm. say what you see. Oh, hello. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am wearing... A Judy Zook satin tour jacket. <laughs> Fucking yes! Oh, that is glorious. And it fits. Did you get it tailored? Is it? It's medium, and I'm not. Ooh. So I'm absolutely terrified of breathing at the moment. Yeah, I was going to so, say, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take it off as soon as I finish this bit. But yes, all praise is due to pop crazed youngster from around the way, Justin Doddsworth. Mm. His mum ran a record shop in the Oswestry area. Yeah. Apparently a lot of arty fuffkins of the Salop area used to uh, swing by with Bounty, <laughs> and uh, he got given a load of stuff from it, wow. and unbelievably, this was one of them. The golden fleece of chart music <laughs> has been unearthed from a back room in Oswestry, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. That is quite superb. Yes. I'm impressed that you managed to kind of climb into it with such a plomb. Of course, the downside to all this is the thought of all the sex yeah, that's well, going to be offered to me I when know. I'm going about tying in my Judy Zook satin tour jacket. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, they'll be coming up to me and saying, is, is that a Judy Zook satin tour jacket? Yeah. And I go, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, fuck, how yeah. did you get that? I do a music podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Shall I just lie <laughs> down here now and let you get on with it? Yeah. It's, it's going to be like a high karate advert, isn't also, it? Also... Keep away from naked flame. Mm, definitely, <laughs> yes. He told me yeah. that his mum used to get loads of picture discs, which he used to give out to mm. girls he fancied at school. And more importantly, loads and loads of bottles of whiskey. <laughs> it was like when Brian Clough won Bell's Manager of the Month every fucking month for about two years. <laughs> that was his mum's record shop. <laughs> for the newer pop craze youngsters, Judy Zook satin tour jacket has been for a very long time. Chart music slang for payola mm. from the world in action documentary uh, called the chart busters about chart rigging in the Aventis, and uh, we started using the term judy zook satin tour jacket and not believing that such a thing existed but here it is on my shoulders oh, it's extraordinary it doesn't fit me at all no but uh, let me tell you there is no operation too life-threatening <laughs> for me not to take it to fit into this fucker yeah yeah it is chart music's own Amazing Technicolor dream coat, really, isn't it? It is, yeah. Even yeah. though it's just one colour. Yes. Blue. Yeah. Royal blue with blue sleeves. Yeah. 
Yeah. And a nice white love heart with Judy Zook's logo mm. across it. Mm. Sadly, no embroidery of an overbite on the back. <laughs> it must have been kept in a very safe place, because I imagine all the others have uh, perished. Oh, it's in immaculate condition. It's pristine. I think the V&A could do an exhibition with this as the single exhibit. You know? Yeah, I think definitely. So. Yeah, it'd be queen round yeah. the block, like it's Tutankhamun. Mm. <laughs> if we turn up at number one in the iTunes podcast chart anytime soon, uh, <laughs> that will just have been under our own steam. No need to worry about yeah. that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only pop and interesting thing I truly care about is the latest batch of pop crazy youngsters who have stuffed a handful down our G string this month. And this time, in the $5 section, we have Mark Cowan. Burt Bacharachums, Andy Hurd, Spencer Rogers, Will, Gigantic Station Master, Cy Smith, Matt D, Sean Moran, Beck Dodd, Matthew Duggan, Paul Mongan, Tim Ward, Matthew Mara, Joe O'Donnell, Lorcan Connolly, Michael War, and Richard Willemson. Thank you, babies. I love each and every one of you. Magnificent people. Mm. And in the $3 section, we have A. Provost, Steve McKevitt, Peter Adams, Tim Frings, Stephen Dyer, and James Doors. Oh, you lovely people. Oh, and Matt Savine, Victoria Clester, Lynn Robb, Dr. Greggles, Toaster in the Bath, and the Blood and Mud podcast. You jacked it right up this month, didn't you? And for that, we thank you so very, very much. We are the mountain. You are the rain. Amen. Step back inside me, pop craze youngsters. <laughs> Amen to all There's of There's a lone raven just outside my window staring at me. Oh, no. That's good to see. <laughs> and one thing those brand new pop craze youngsters get to do, along with all the other Patreon people, is to rig and a jig the chart music top ten. Are you ready, boys? Yes. Yeah. Hit the fucking music! We've said goodbye to the Cupertino Kid, Friar David, Fox Biz, and the pink people of Charles Moore, <laughs> which means two up, two down, two non-movers, three new entries, and one re-entry. Down eight places from number two to number ten, Sharks Piss Fire. Oh. <laughs> A new entry at number nine, Oven-ready women. Down three from number five to number eight. It's Jeff Sex. Yes. A re-entry straight in at number seven. Taylor Parks has 20 romantic moments. And it's up one place from number seven to number six. For rock expert David Stubbs. Rock. Into the top five and back up from number six to number five. Here comes Jism. No change at number four. Bummer dog. A new entry at number three. The Continuity Westlife. <laughs> this week's highest new entrance, straight in at number two, Romocop, which means. <laughs> Britain's number one. 
they're still there at the top. The chart music number one. The bent cunts who aren't fucking real. Yes. Oh, what a fucking chart that oh, is. Glorious, glorious. Mm. Uh, the bent cunts who aren't fucking real, they're not going anywhere, are they? I bet they played Reading Festival. Nah, I bet they didn't. Mm. <laughs> bet they weren't allowed. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Actually, I think it's just a a really dirty pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> so, chaps, oven ready women. What what's their game? Feminist, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. sarcastic feminists. Oh, the worst kind. Oof, yeah, continuity Westlife speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Romo Cobb, clearly electro clash. Yeah. So, if you want in on all the sexy top ten action, as well as getting the full episode in one go without adverts ages before anyone else, see that keyboard, use those fingers, mash out patreon.com slash chart music, and make our G-strings bulge. Ooh. Ooh. You two finished. Are we, I, I, I thought, Taylor, you just think you can join in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, join in with that? Yeah. It's fun. Right. It's fun, honestly. You know, just let, you, let your hair down. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. That was well funky, yeah. Gibbon. That was Taylor. Don't bother. <laughs> now, nah, chaps, before we get stuck in, I need to make a couple of clarifications because I made a right balls up last episode and I need to beat myself with the rod of correction. <laughs> so you may recall that I said I'd done some work about 20 years ago for Maxim and hadn't been paid for it. And I gave them a nudge and they said that they thought that I was Alex Needham. Well, the minute I published that episode remembered it wasn't maxim at all it was for a pullout that i did for a magazine that shall remain nameless uh, which i got paid for in the end anyway me and alex needham have had a chat about it and it turns out that it was the first he'd ever heard of it he didn't get paid anything and i'm of the opinion now that um said accounts department of said magazine was stringing me along or something like that i don't know anyway just want to make absolutely clear that no one at the enemy received money on my behalf or took food off my table <laughs> and i'd like to take the opportunity to apologize to alex needham the accounts department of maxim and to you the pop craze youngsters because i hate being wrong about this sort of thing man it just fucking gnaws away at my soul mm. Oh, and I also implied that Freddie and the Dreamers came from Liverpool when they obviously <gasps> came from Man. I know they yeah. obviously came from Manchester. And to be honest with you, I don't know which city I need to apologise to the most. So <laughs> I- I'm like Kurt Cobain this episode. I'm all apologies. <laughs> so this episode, Pop Craze Youngsters, takes us away from all the modern rubbish we did last time and plunges us straight back into the comforting breast of november the 3rd 1977 oh i mean chaps on the surface there's nothing particularly special about this episode for the era there's a a lot of regular acts and chart music favorites that pitch up and there's a a fuckload of cover versions clearly this is an episode where punk needs to happen and happen soon except for the fact that it already has yeah i think at this time i didn't have rock critical consciousness that was a few months away yet for me um and in fact you know this episode of top of the pops is pretty close to my kind of pop sensibility at the time much more so than the music press that wasn't really really aware of you know you know Mm. i mean i I could pretend later on that i was all about sort of throbbing gristle and wire and suicide in 1977 but everything had equal merit as far as i was concerned if it was in the chart as long as i had a bit of velocity and 
Paul Nicholas and Bob Marley, you know, it was all much the same sort of thing, really. All part of the same sort of, you know, spectrum of entertainment. Well, yeah. It felt very 1977 to me, I would say, this episode. Very much very so. Nice. You know, if it was a stick of rock, it'd have 1977 running through it. Yeah, there's mm. the real 1977, as <laughs> yeah, opposed yes. to... Oh, yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, if you want to see the, the sort of the enemy world 1977, you have to watch Top of the Pops from 1978. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I watched a random Top of the Pops from 1978 last week and it had x-ray specs and the lurkers on it Ooh. this is the real 1977 this is full of monster acts and uh yeah you know records that people remember and stuff mm. like i've actually got quite into this period of time lately but mostly the american version which yes. we don't see all that much of in this episode but it's useful as a comparison I think, because mm. uh, this is one of the periods of greatest distance between British and American pop culture, right? And in the way that we had the Avenses, which isn't quite here yet in this episode. No. But that was when the changes came, and that was how things shifted and, and settled. In America, they had this distinct period between Watergate and Reagan, which I mm. just think of as uh, bicentennial, you mm. know. It's like yeah. big cars with brown interiors that look like wood and uh, those suits that weren't just wide lapeled they were also about four inches thick the herb tarlek look yeah yeah uh, yeah and uh, and you you couldn't drive your car down the street without seeing a, a native american chief standing by the side of the road weeping <laughs> about pollution <laughs> and it was you know the bionic man acting yeah. like he was going to make a fucking difference you know mm. when we had punk they had rumors by fleetwood mac and it yeah. was it just looked looks nicer and smooth it's just as depressing mm. it's like a heat haze of sex drenched hairy qualued addicted malaise you know mm. but i quite like it I quite yeah like they it. had afternoon delight we had Angel Delight. I was just going to mention Afternoon Delight, actually, this Dark and Vocal Band. If you, to, if you go on YouTube, there's a sort of video of them performing this, and they're performing in the middle of a city, and it's a tremendous sort of time capsule, really, and it exudes a lot of, you know, that's 1976, mm. minus the um, Native American chief, but, um, you know, if I ever want to sort of get a sort of dose of pure America, 1976, that very far-off, pre-Freddie Laker America, yeah, um, I always dip into that. And if you want to do it in a less classy way, also on YouTube, there's all these compilations of trailers and opening titles for the new network shows of each new yes. season from like the late 70s so like it's like the, the 36 new shows of the hellish mid-season of 1979 <laughs> and things like that and they are chokingly evocative yeah. of this period there's yeah, all these yeah, yeah. like short-lived sitcoms and they're all shot in smearavision you know with mm. uh they've all got theme songs that explain the premise of the show yes. so like if the show's called mickey and it's about a bloke who works in an abattoir <laughs> and he's got an extra arm it goes uh do 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 oh mickey you work in an abattoir and you've got an extra arm <laughs> like, yes i know <laughs> why are you telling me this <laughs> your best friend is an incubus yeah. who came out of a cursed bassoon <laughs> and every show has got a distinct american location like which you see in the titles like snake handlers of pittsburgh pa 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't it's, it? Yeah, yeah, it is, or it's, it's shot in, in in Philadelphia or Portland, Oregon, or somewhere. And mm. You get a helicopter shot in the titles, yes. which you're just supposed to recognise where it is. And there's a really short list of themes and and tropes is put upon every man surrounded by loonies, uh, neurotic modern woman looking for love mm. and trying to make her way in the seventies. You know, good luck with that, Doc. Semi-unusual <laughs> place of work. Fish out of water. Battle of the sexes. And as you get to the late 70s, every show features one black cast member, but no more or less than one. Mm-hmm. Or else it gets confusing. Um, <laughs> that's that's the, how it is. Unless it's one of those shows where the gimmick is that they're all black and it's called, like, Good Brothers or something. And the only mm. point of the show is that they're black. They don't do anything mm-hmm. except be black what you talking about taylor yeah you know what i mean at, but at the at the beginning of every show all the cast appear in a little circle one by one and then at the end mm. it says and introducing linda pucarelli as sandy <laughs> um, <laughs> i couldn't sit through a whole episode of any of these but when you watch the the titles en masse they're fascinating as a mm. this evidence of a culture that had made a certain amount of progress towards a decent society and then got tired and just fallen yeah. into a slump. So it's almost time for everything to get nasty again and wake everybody up. But unfortunately, when that happens, it's always a bit too late. But that's what you always get. You get a period of modest improvements to standards of living and personal freedom. And then everyone gets progress fatigue and it all starts to sag and slide back towards the the reactionary you know and then you Mm. get that period of empty sort of upbeat bollocks which uh usually heralds another clamp down you know like it's morning in america yeah yeah i think there's a link between progress fatigue and prog fatigue in a sense you know because you know that's what (laughs) punk happened you know yeah it is the the response is a lot of these new possibilities are boring Mm. Mm. (laughs) that realization really hits people yeah people were actually comfortably often there was relative social equality but people got bored people just got bored Um, but i mean actually going back to sitcoms i think that taxi was the one that perhaps came along to drive out all of the kind mm. of, you know, tropes that Taylor was talking about. I mean, the theme music, again, is pure distillation of that. that, that yeah, kind of Bob James. Bob James, you know, but there's a continuum from Taxi through to Cheers and then Frasier, obviously. Mm. It's the era, of course, when they had a checkered thing on the side of the New York yeah. cabs, which then, then they discontinued. I mean, what mean spirit... Yeah. In what council decided, now nah, we don't need them anymore? Yeah, it's like when they stopped British police cars from going, Nino, Nino. Yes. <laughs> Why did you do that? Uh, Why? Yeah. <laughs> There's something to be said for that period just before things go backwards, right? When people stop being hungry and harassed enough for just long enough to reflect on, in the end, the emptiness of society and their own existence, which is always what it comes around to. Like in early lockdown... I was watching quite a lot of Seinfeld, but I had Mm. to stop because I realised how much I miss living in the affluent West in the untroubled (laughs) 90s. That's right, the untroubled times. Not having to care about anything opened Mm. up all these fascinating vistas, you know, Mm. all these these in-depth conversations about being human and attempting to operate as an imperfect being in a twisted society, you know. And all these deep dives into intriguing trivialities and it's you don't get it now nowadays everyone's 
so fucking boring and strident because there's actual immediate things to worry about mm. you know everybody's really mm. one-dimensional because they have to concentrate on survival mm. there's no time for anything interesting or uh, discursive but what i would say about this episode of top of the pops if nothing else <laughs> oh we're it, talking about an episode of top of the pops are we yeah <laughs> and it, <laughs> it, it, sorry it does show us albeit british style some of that thumb twiddling malaisadelic variation of thought and expression mm. right because whatever else 1977 is it's never entirely predictable mm. there's always a few things what the fuck is this yeah mm. Mm. yeah i mean you could say that this episode represents the absolute crest of the late 70s with record companies getting ready for christmas by pushing their biggest acts to the fore and they've, they've all got single releases to promote those albums and they're all here and we're about to tuck into them let's go yes. head over to hulu this march where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to All Rather Mysterious, the podcast that aims to unlock the mysteries of the past with the key of fact. My name is John Rain. My name is Eleanor Morton. My name is David Reed. Please join us as we present to you mysteries that have baffled the world. You had any noises? What about um, a door creaking? Uh, no, uh, you don't have to do that. That weird kadook that yeah, lights well, going off makes for some reason in films. <laughs> All Rather Mysterious. Blackouts have been going off all over Britain this week due to unofficial action by power station workers. Meanwhile, BBC staff have joined in the fun, blacking out coverage of today's state opening of Parliament and this evening's episode of Nationwide. But thankfully, they've left Top of the Pops the fuck alone. Michael Barrett is still alive, Nationwide. Is he? Yeah. It's like Kissing Kissinger or something, yeah. He's still with us. Jesus. Yeah. He's still danding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 300 tonnes of contaminated tinned corn beef that was imported into the country from Australia have resurfaced across grocery stores and corner shops across the UK. The Metropolitan Police have recovered £3,000 from the home of Andrew Newton, the hitman who was paid £5,000 by an associate of Jeremy Thorpe to kill Norman Scott in October of 1974. 
Security forces in Northern Ireland report that the IRA are having a clean-up in their ranks by rounding up all the gangsters, rapists and muggers and administering punishments such as kneecapping, breaking fingers with hammers and shooting folk in the penis. Hey, let's hope they don't get the wrong person. <laughs> but I'm sure they, I'm sure they went through a lengthy detection process to make sure that didn't no. happen. Meanwhile, Roddy Llewellyn, Princess Margaret's current shag, has flown out to Mystique to be with her, unaware that she's been spending her time looking at John Bindon walking around with six pint pot handles around his cock. <laughs> Hercules, the horse in Steptoe and Son, has been saved from the knacker's yard thanks to the International League for the Protection of Horses, who stepped in to buy him before he was turned into tins of catamite. He will now be living on a farm in Surrey. Oh. Ray Kune, the producer of the forthcoming West End musical Elvis, has unveiled the man who will be playing the 30-year-old king, a club singer called Shaking Stevens. <laughs> he joins Tim Whitnell and PJ Proby in the star role, with Tracy Ullman as one of the dancers. FBI agents investigating an illegal gambling ring have released film of Lee Majors gambling on American football while getting friendly with a blonde waitress, leading his wife, Farrah Fawcett, to kick the fuck off on him. He was last seen jumping over a building to get away from her dead slowly. <laughs> a nightclub owner from Blantyre, Scotland, has announced that he's about to hire a submarine from an undisclosed European country with the intent of charging 150 Scotland fans £595 each to take them to Argentina for next year's World Cup. Brian Clough has erected a sign on the pitch of the city ground which reads, Gentlemen, no swearing, please, Brian. And Nottingham Forest go on to batter Middlesbrough 4-0, opening up a four-point lead over Liverpool at the top of Division 1. But the big news this week is that the Sex Pistols have just released Nevermind the Bollocks and Virgin Records' advertising campaign is already causing mither. Them big posters in the window, chaps. Do you remember them? I certainly do, yeah, yeah. Oh, did you have one in your area? Oh, we have, yeah, two or three, yeah. At the Seen and Heard record shop in Leeds. Ooh. Various hoardings and what happened. You know, there was nipple erectors, buzzcocks. You know, Good Lord. Filth. The cunt. All <laughs> along the Cologne. Filth. Just shall I tell you mine, never mind the bollocks story? Yeah, yeah. So a few years ago, I was doing bits and bobs uh, on Inside Out on BBC One. You know, the local magazine show that used to be... Yeah, oh, yeah. Nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I fucking loved it. I used to do all types of mad shit. And one time they asked me to do a piece on the Nevermind the Bollocks trial, which happened in Nottingham because the manager of the Virgin Record shop here had put up all these massive Nevermind the Bollocks posters. Mm. And then he got arrested and, you know, they had the obscenity trial there. So, you know, Nottingham once again being the cradle of punk this time <laughs> and yeah they asked me to do a piece on that and they got someone lined up for me to interview richard fucking branson oh yes Ooh. well yeah that was that was my reaction both of them because you know Ugh. apart from johnny rotten he was going to be the absolute best person to talk to about this so he said yeah you come down on a monday morning and uh richard will be there and you, you can have half an hour with him and all that kind of stuff so like, oh brilliant so if, if it's a monday that means i can go and see my mates uh in london for the weekend so yeah got hammered monday morning i feel like absolute dog shit 
it. I've got this <laughs> fucking evil racking cough that won't go away. You know, one of them really oh, proper yeah. tickly ones. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A, a Malcolm cough, if you will. Mm. I pitch up at the Virgin offices, you know, meet the camera crew and all that kind of stuff. We get there and says, oh, uh, Richard's not around at the minute. He's still in Cambridge. Did you want to sit down and, you know, get comfy and that? And fucking hours and hours tick on. And it's, it's obvious that he, he can't even be fucked to get into an helicopter to talk to me. <laughs> so they said, right, we'll do it online. We'll put you in a little office. We'll set up the screen and all that kind of stuff. So when there, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. They've got connection problems on their internet haven't they ah. they call us back and before he pops up they say well you've only got 10 minutes now and it's like oh for fuck's sake so i've got a right cob on mm. he finally pops up on screen and introduces himself and the first thing that comes out of my mouth was bloody hell richard your internet's not very good who are you with <laughs> <laughs> which put a bit of a frosty edge on the interview it had to be said but I, by this time i didn't give a fuck mm. also it was uh, punk rock isn't it yes very much so you know mm. you should have just given him the yes. sign and gone <laughs> we start the interview and i've got a list of questions i want to know about the trial and he immediately launches into this spiel that he must have given thousands of times about how he was the only person who um, gave the sex pistols a break and all this kind of stuff and then he says oh i can see you want me to move on and i look down and i realize my hand's giving the wind it on gesture (laughs) (laughs) but afterwards i had another interview we had to go right across to the countryside to interview trevor dan and he was miles better Mm. you know trevor dan the sidekick of matthew bannister radio one because he was a radio nottingham dj at the time oh yeah yeah yeah. he was a far superior interview i could have spent all night listening to him especially as you could you could tell that he, he really didn't like Dave Lee Travis. Mm. This is just when chart music has started, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't on my game as much, but uh, oh, I'd love to pin him down and hear his tales of Travis. I bet they're brilliant. <laughs> I mean, one thing he said, we got talking about Top of the Pops, and he said there was a plan for BBC television to actually launch a Top of the Pops network mm. where you could get all the episodes available on the iPlayer. Oh. Why didn't they do that? Yeah, yeah. Good grief. Yeah. But it's, it's weird. Like, something like Branson, it's just awful the fact that, you know, he has to be engaged with because of his role in the formation of punk. You know, it's like mm. Tim Martin or whatever, you know, Weatherspoons, you know, being constantly having a sort of founding role in, like, in introducing techno in this country or something like that. It's just, yeah. you know, it's just horrible. On the cover of Melody Maker this week, don't know, think there was a printer's strike. On the cover of Disco 45... The Carpenters. The number one LP in the UK at the moment is 40 Golden Greats by Cliff Richard. 20 Golden Greats by Diana Ross and the Supremes is at number two. And the highest placed non-compilation LP, Heroes by David Bower, is at number three. Over in America, the number one single is You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone. And the number one LP, of course, is Rumours by Fleetwood Mac. So, boys, what were we doing in November of 1977? Right. Well, um, I was 15 at the time. And I was just getting over, at this point, one of the bitterest disappointments of my life, almost a formative Ooh. one. So what happened is I'd got a holiday job, you know, around in the autumn time in Barrack and Elm in, in near Leeds, my, um, my home village. You could earn a little bit of extra pocket money um, by doing potato picking in the school holidays. Ooh. Grim, back-breaking work, working for some of Britain's worst bastards, northern farmers. <laughs> we used to have a little field called Jack Heap's Playing Field. It was the one place where, like, kids could kind of go out and play football because we weren't allowed in, like, you know, the sort of... 
the main football pitch, you know, that, that was by the village hall. No. It was just this slope of, you know, that's all we had to kind of, you know. Own your skills. Own our skills. That was exactly the, the cliche I was reaching for. Uh, <laughs> good enough for the Charlton brothers. And this bastard, right, you know, it's always his name, Fred Thorpe. And he'd come round and, and he'd sort of shoe us off in the middle of a game so he could ride round in his pony and trap. No, this farmer. No. You know, he had acres of his own land. Bastard. And that's it. And he'd just drive us off and he'd go round in circles. You know, you bastard. Man, that's terrible, man, because you've been brought up thinking that all these farmers were like the Wurzels. Yeah. Oh, totally. Exactly, yeah. Absolutely. Fun-loving yeah. yokels. I was just thinking, is it wise to mention him by name, but he'll be dead now, won't he? They oh, he's always long gone. Put a shotgun in his mouth about four years after. <laughs> We'd heard about people getting a pound an hour, you know, potato picking, and, he's, and I just remember him saying, no, I'm paying you no more. I'm paying you no more on 50p hour. 50p hour. That's all he Fuck. And he better work in fucking, you know. And, and it was just like, you miserable old cunt. How many Fu Manchus are you going to get out of that, I man? know. Well, this is it. Fuck all. So anyway, managed to sort of scrape together enough wherewithal to uh, buy a scale electric set. Ooh. Unfortunately, I am not, not to sort of turn into a half-man, half-biscuit song, but it never fucking worked. It just didn't no. work. And it wasn't just the dodgy transformer. It was the fact that you had this kind of um, overexcitable little gun. <sighs> you know, I mean, my fingers were sort of blistered already from playing Crossfire for a solid year, you know. So, I mean, perhaps my grip <laughs> was a bit kind of like sunk, you know, but it would it'd overshoot. The pieces never fit together. And I'd basically blown my whole watch on this useless box of crap. How many potatoes? Oh, sackfuls. Uh, two, three sackfuls a day, probably, you know. You, you should have got Jody Schechter racing. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is is why I play Mario Kart every day. I play Mario Kart for about an hour. You know, I'm chasing around those circuits, racing those monkeys and skeletons and two-year-old girls um, like an hour a day. Um, and it's to compensate, basically, for, for that, that huge section of my lost childhood. Who do you go for in Mario Kart? I'm one of these terrible people. Somebody said that on Twitter, <laughs> they're like, one of the characteristics of a centrist dad, and I don't think I'm that, was that they're always Mario when they play Mario Kart. Yeah, fuck that. I am always Mario, unfortunately. Why? I don't know. I tried a few of the others, and I tried to be, was it Donkey Kong once, and I just no. couldn't get on with it. Um, I don't know. I don't know, really. I'm a Wario kind of guy. Ah, okay, yeah. Simply because of the N64 version, because his laugh is so fucking filthy mm. and gleeful at other people's misfortune. Mm. It's just, that's the kind of person I want to be, Yeah, I think. <laughs> Taylor? Yeah. Well, as I think I mentioned before... In 1977, I was living in this cheap, falling-down cottage in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Just extending the natural, introspective maladjustment of the adopted only child into new realms of hallucinatory alienation by living out there for three or four crucial years, no-one to play with, uh, just unsupervised in the 1970s style. (laughs) Just wandering around forests and streams and farms on my own, you know, with my head illuminated, just thinking and processing everything wrongly. Like walking through the set of every public information film. Yeah, but having to invent an inner life, just like now, except with forests and streams and farms uh, and a future. But it was all right, except when my dad chucked all my crayons out of the window in a rage. What? Yeah, because I'd written the word warship on the new carpet. (laughs) Um, Why? 
way. Right, we'd moved into this place, and the reason we could afford it was that it had no staircase and no carpets, and it needed loads of work, which my dad took on as a as a project. And because he worked at a carpet factory, Kidderminster's one and only uh, now long departed industry. He got all these wall to wall fitted carpets, sort of fawn colour. Um, dad, what does my new jacket feel like, Axminster? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he he was not best pleased to get back from the pub and find this i'd been sat there drawing pictures with my crayons while my mum mm. was watching the telly and at some point they showed a preview of that evening's viewing on bbc one which included the uh, the dreary ocean going drama serial uh, warship oh yeah co-created right. by uh, ian mackintosh author of incredibly brilliant spy series the sandbaggers and anthony coburn talented hack writer of the first ever episode of doctor who and so for some reason feeling like it was totally natural i got a red crayon and wrote the word warship in block capitals on the carpet in front of me and i mean what color was the carpet it was pale (laughs) (laughs) and i mean look i was five or four or five so i must have had some sense that this was not completely acceptable Mm. but i think i only realized the extent of the problem when my mum turned around and saw it and went ape shit right i mean there's two possible responses when you turn around and see something like that one of them is ah my kid is danny from the shining (laughs) Ah." and the other one is fuck you little shit you fuck the carpet i think my mum went very much for the second option um so i got sent to bed and when my dad got in there wasn't much to suggest that he was creeped out either by the eeriness of the scene uh so much is furious about the price of a steam clean so the upshot was number one my dad stormed upstairs and threw my box of crayons out of the window and two to this very day i start laughing whenever i hear this song breaking glass by david bowie because <laughs> uh, he says don't look at the carpet i drew something awful on it <laughs> my only regret right the only, the only thing that kind of made this better is it wasn't the grand national on tv won that year by red rug yes yes which yes, yes. might have set up the most beautiful perfect scenario mm, mm. which would make mm. a far better story but but things like that just don't happen in real life. I'm nine years old and I'm in the third year at junior school and I just about remember this episode because it was the one relief in a very turbulent week. All all involving, like you, Taylor, an art project. (laughs) Because on our estate, there was a big concrete staircase at the bottom of the street next to us, which was like built into a grass bank. And round about this time, me and Ian Jarvis, my mate, we discovered that if you dug into the grass bank, there was a huge clay deposit underneath, and we couldn't believe it. It was like finding a a lake of school glue or something like that. We didn't realise that you could get clay out of the ground. So we spent an afternoon playing with the clay and eventually making nudie women and cocks and balls out of clay (laughs) and showcasing them on the staircase. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Nice. And we were about 60% through the whole staircase. <laughs> and fucking Braggerjag, whose ass was next to uh, where we were, he came home, got out of his car, and just saw a staircase of cock, and he went fucking mental. <laughs> Grabbed hold of me, dragged me up the street by the tab, banged on the fucking front door, told me mum I was a dirty bastard and I wanted me ass tanning. <laughs> he was called Braggerjag uh, because he's only topic of conversation was his car oh i thought he was hungarian <laughs> he had a jag he liked to brag <laughs> but more importantly i'm pretty much convinced that this is the night that my granny was rushed to hospital after having a minor heart attack oh. and we got the call just before this episode started my mum's going hysterical my dad's running around getting ready to take her to the hospital which meant that me and my sister were allowed to watch top of the pops to calm us down because we were both going hysterical as well because you know I, I, i'm nine and i've been really lucky so far to my mind the only people that ever died were people who were mentioned on news at 10 and pets yeah mm. she was my granny on my mum's side and she was fucking rock she brought up six girls on her own on the roughest estate in nottingham and very opinionated about pop um she loved the rolling stones Ooh. she thought mick jagger was really leery she was convinced to her dying day that all the beatles were homosexual <laughs> yeah well it's not like the beatles ever showed any interest in women no <laughs> I used to go round hers after school every now and then, and she'd always let me watch any pop programme that was on. I remember seeing every episode of Mark, the Mark Boland-hosted mm. uh, kids' TV show. Yeah. I remember watching the first episode with her, and radio stars came on and did No Russians in Russia. And she just sat there with a fag on going, what the bloody hell are they going on about? There's no Russians in Russia, <laughs> filling kids' heads up with bloody rubbish. <laughs> I would have told her that it was based on a private eye cover when Gerald Ford said that there were no Soviet domination of Eastern Europe during the presidential debate with Jimmy Carter the previous year, but I was only nine and I didn't know that. Mm. But she pulled through. She she lived another four years and she spent quite a bit of time afterwards stopping around our house while she was getting better, which was fucking brilliant because that meant my dad had got to the pub a bit earlier. Mm. So on Thursday nights, the living room telly was free for watching Top of the Pops, which she was quite happy to watch as well. Yeah. She always hated songs about Sue suicide she'd just tut away when song for guy by elton john came on and uh, the theme from mash oh. and uh, I, I didn't ask why and i wish i'd have done now mm. so music wise like many of my age i'm a granair i'm still trying to come to terms with punk if i'd have been a teenager i like to think that i'd be full into punk but you know when you're nine it's teenagers music and teenagers are horrible cunts who kick your football into someone's garden or or boot you up the arse for no reason yeah they're always smoking and spitting mm. so my only source of information about punk was the same source where i got information about sex which was the sunday papers and they made punk sound absolutely fucking terrifying yeah it's not just some kids who are kind of bored and want to dress up a bit 
The greatest internet forum post in history was in the early noughties when someone on the Word magazine forum said that around about this time it went round their school that a Sex Pistols concert consisted of Johnny Rotten singing We Hate the Queen Cause She's No Use Look Out Baby Here Comes the Juice and then the band would all get their cocks out and piss all over the audience oh. <laughs> and if that had gone round my school we'd have totally believed that <laughs> so by this point if an actual punk band had pitched up on top of the pops and didn't do something like shit on a picture of the queen or throw a pig into a wood <laughs> chipper and shower tony blackburn with blood we'd have been massively mm. let down yeah. and of course you know as soon as the double whammy of saplan pour moi and jilted john came on top of the pops that was it i realized what punk was all about <laughs> oh yeah and like everyone else at school i was full into it <laughs> There was a lot of moral panic about sort of you know delinquency and hooliganism at this point, wasn't there? And I think that punk somehow ended up getting conflated with that. Mm. Do you remember that um, public information film in set in a kind of suburb and like hooligans during the night have like absolutely trashed the whole area and the adults are just yeah? Do you remember that one? Yes. And they were saying like you can't call the police. It's no use. This is nothing you can do. Mm. Half of them are in the police. <laughs> yes. But first of all, that happened precisely zero times in the area that I lived in. You know, the entire area getting trashed. I mean, if any kids had sort of turned out and uh, <laughs> you know, there are enough sort of like hard nuts in my road, they'd have absolutely got the shit kicked out of them if they sort of like you know, they are yeah. like be kind of glowering from behind neck curtains. Look at them the hooligans smashing up our garage door yeah. but you know i think there was yeah. a sort of yeah, a lot of moral panic and um punk somehow kind of got roughly treated i think in that regard by this point we're 11 months away from the grundy incident yeah there was the initial explosion of outrage over mm. that and then there was a summer of scare stories over the punks ted's fighting on the king's road and you know by this point punk has finally filtered out to the provinces mm. and yes david you're right the, the vandalism and wrongness hangs thick in the air mm. For example, here's a dispatch from the Coventry Evening Telegraph a mere fortnight before this episode, which documents that havoc that's being wreaked upon the nation by the punk craze youngsters. <laughs> the headline, Down With Punks. Oh. <laughs> Rebel the Labrador has had just about enough of the punk rock craze <laughs> he didn't mind when the punk rockers stuck safety pins through their noses and ripped their clothes but he is not happy about the trend of punk fans wearing dog collars around their necks <laughs> and rebel's owner mr harold smith is not very pleased either because the four collars stolen from the pet in the past month have cost him about 20 pounds <laughs> I'm quite sure that it's the work of these punk rockers, said Mr. Smith, who owns the Beechwood Hotel, St. Pitts Lane, Kersler, Coventry. Very reasonable, right? <laughs> the first three that went were expensive chain-link collars with name tags. Then... Rather than buy a new collar, the Smiths decided to use the brass-studded leather collar, which was worn by their last dog, Brande, who died last year. But within a few days, that was gone too, and they have had to fork out for yet another collar. It was bad enough when the first three went, but that last one was the only memento we had of Brande, who was a great old dog, said Mr. Smith. The trouble with Rebel 
is that he is so friendly and will go to anyone. But I can't understand the mentality of kids who would steal a collar from a dog. (laughs) Mr. Smith now faces a choice of letting 15-month-old Rebel go out without a collar and risk it being stolen again. Meanwhile, he wants anyone who knows of a punk rocker wearing a dog collar tagged Rebel or Brander to contact him or the police. Well, if you call your dog Rebel, you're asking for it, aren't you? But, oh, look at poor Rebel in that photo, chaps. (laughs) Sadness in his eyes. (laughs) He can't understand. He's only friendly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they should have called their dog, uh, I love Pink Floyd. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, or Genesis. Exactly, yeah. No problem at all, yeah. Mm. But uh, have I missed something here? How do you steal a collar off a dog? Is the dog out on his own? Yeah. Just wandering the street? Oh, but yeah, I mean, that was the 70s. That used to happen all the time, like the dog at the road, Glenn. I mean, he just, they'd be just let out in the morning. Glenn? Yeah, Glenn. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Who and, calls um, a dog Glenn? The, the clerks did up the road, yeah. Anyway, you know. He's so he was always having his collar stolen by country music fans. Yes. <laughs> he would just roam the streets like a Beano character and then come back for his tea. Yeah, so yeah, that did happen. So it's quite plausible, yeah. You know, it wasn't, didn't live in the kind of surveillance society we do now, you know. Didn't the van come round with the uh, dog wards yes. on the side? <laughs> and they got a big net, like a butterfly net to get him with. If you let your dog out on your own, some of you have got to smear shaving cream round its mouth, aren't there, for, for logs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, my dog never had a collar. <laughs> I bet not. Yeah, we yeah. would have a collar round our neck when he came around hmm. of his paws. <laughs> oh, I'd wear a dog collar with Bummer Dog on it. <laughs> so, pop crazy youngsters, you know how we go about. This is the time of the episode when we delve into the crates and pull out an example of the music press from this week. And this week, I have gone for the NME, November the fifth, nineteen seventy-seven. Fucking hell, bonfire nights around the corner. Mm-hmm. What kind of bonfire night would you have round about this time? God, I can't believe that Jack eats playing field is getting two mentions on chart music but uh, that is precisely where uh, the bonfire took place yeah cool. G- gingerbread brent jacket potatoes which is considered quite exotic really one mm. of those kind of once a year things you know like <laughs> um, cranberry sauce or whatever and of course a guy mm. yeah just the usual you know like the, the face scorching hot and your back freezing cold mm. you know, <laughs> like some plastic cups trotting yeah. into the grass you'd think the enemy would be uh, less enthusiastic as it does celebrate uh, the murder of someone who tried to blow up parliament which i, mm. I you'd have thought the enemy at the time would be all for that you know yeah, yeah. albeit in the name of a sort of catholic taliban which mm. is what the gunpowder <laughs> plotters actually were but people don't like to talk about that on the cover a mid-60s black and white shot of Pete Townsend. He's facing straight on. You could actually cut his face out and put it on your guy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what they were thinking of. You know, like Whoopi used to do. Yeah. Mm. They'd have a cutout of Guy Fawkes. Mm. But who's going to want to cut the comic up? Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. In the news, the forthcoming Sex Pistols movie, Who Killed Bam Bear, is off. 
Shooting was due to commence last week, but after the budget escalated to three quarters of a million pounds and one of the backers pulled out, the sets and stages have been struck. Director Russ Meyer has returned to Los Angeles and the scripted drug orgy between Johnny Rotten and Marianne Faithful never happened. According to a Daily Mirror article this week, technicians walked off set after a deer was shot with a crossbow and the pistols are claiming that it's all the fault of Princess Grace of Monaco, a director of 20th Century Fox, having a cob on about the film. (laughs) So one of the great missed opportunities of punk, that film at one point was going to be directed by Pete Walker, the British genius super hack behind films like uh, Frightmare and uh, House of Mortal Sin. Uh, Like proper 70s British sleeves, but with a really funny, cynical sort of anti-establishment but not pro anything kind of feel like mm. really like, it would have been perfect for the sex pistols also i directed schizo the one true british giallo and some bangers Ooh. and mash giallo but unfortunately it never happened and pete walker was asked about this and he said he met up with him and had some meetings and he liked johnny rotten because apparently Johnny mm. Rotten admitted to him that he was only in it for the a laugh and the money. Mm-hmm. But he hated the other Sex Pistols because he said they were idiots who had no idea what was going on. So sort of belief. I love Pete Walker, though. Just don't bother watching any of his films if you're a big fan of satisfying endings. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, shooting has just begun on another film, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, featuring Peter Frampton, the Bee Gees, George Burns, and the third world superstar himself, Paul Nicholas. <laughs> oh, that's going to be fucking brilliant, that. Can't oh, wait. God, yeah. There's no possible way that could be a letdown. I know, no. <laughs> Having never seen that film, I can state, nevertheless, with absolute authority that it's shite. I don't think anyone's ever seen all of it. Mm. Because I have. Have you, have you got through the whole thing? Yes. Wow. Because I like? wanted to see the end bit, because there's loads of famous people. Like, Curtis Mayfield yeah. is in the fucking background at the end. Mm. It's a film I've never been able to get all the way through, and I once watched Andy Warhol sleep. Um, <laughs> there's just something sort of queasy and wrong about it on every Mm. level Mm. but not in a compelling way Mm. right it's just like you have a dream and the next day you can't quite remember what happened in it you just Mm. have a a vivid memory of this indescribable atmosphere which you can't really put into words Mm. and possibly frankie howard was in it yes you try and tell anyone else about it and it's the most boring thing they've Mm. ever heard it's what watching that film's like yeah pete waterman should have done a film about the bgs with big fun in it 10 years later see how they liked it (laughs) (laughs) yeah put a quote from the from big fun saying yeah now the bgs records no longer exist (laughs) (laughs) the original now it may as well no longer exist (laughs) Peter Gabriel and his band have been arrested on tour in St. Gallen, Switzerland, after Gabriel stopped off on his way to France to make a phone call in the early hours, and he and the band were mistaken for bank robbers by locals. (laughs) But the police cleared it all up when they opened the tour manager's suitcase, discovered huge wads of four different currencies, and accused them of being members of the Bard and Meinhof gang. (laughs) 
After a four-hour interrogation, one phone call to a French promoter cleared it all up, and they were released without charge. Yeah, and Peter Gabriel said to the police, uh, did this interrogation really have to last four hours? And they mm. said, yes, see, now you know how we feel. <laughs> yes. Uh, that pebble coming at you direct from a glass house. <laughs> Basically, if you're young in Germany, and you couldn't go out, unless you had to short back and sides, you couldn't go out without being arrested. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people in the uh, German police at the time with, uh, shall we say, an interesting history. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> bit of a problem there. Bit of a problem getting them out. In other pop stars in the Nick News, Jet Black and Jean-Jacques Bernal of the Stranglers have spent the night in the cells at Brighton after six local policemen who were tracking two dozen Hells Angels from Holland who were mates of the band raided their dressing room with a police dog. When two of the angels were arrested after the gig, Black and Burnell went to the station to have it out with them mm. and were themselves arrested for disorderly conduct. Mm. Imagine sharing a cell with half of the stranglers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that they were arrested for disorderly conduct because usually the plan let's go angrily and drunkenly to the police station and have it out with the police mm. as a much happier conclusion. Yeah. At least that dog kept his collar this time, though. <laughs> EMI have won the battle to sign the Rich Kids, the new group formed by ex-Pistol Glenn Matlock, while CBS have made do with signing the Cortinas. Meanwhile, the punk-crazed youngsters are finally allowed to purchase the new double-A side Terminal Stupid, I Can't Come, by a band who choose to call themselves Snivelling Shits. They're a punk band formed by Sounds Journo Giovanni Dodomo, and it's available in all good record shops. Manufacturing problems forced Island Records to press it in France, and when the first batch was imported into the country, it was impounded by customs officers for being dead rude. I love how you say uh, the band called the Snivelling Shit. They're a punk band. Oh, really? Mm. <laughs> it's like I was watching uh, Hammer House of Horror last night, and someone says, uh, you need to meet this bloke, the Swami Gupta Krishna. He's an Indian. (laughs) (laughs) Inside the paper, well, Charles Shaw Murray gets on the bus for the live Stiffs tour and discovers that Nick Lowe is reading Jack the Ripper, The Final Solution. Dave Edmonds is getting stuck into Elvis What Happened and Elvis Costello is leafing through the essential Lenny Bruce. On the way to Manchester, Costello nips into a Woolworths and comes out with two copies of Anarchy in the UK, a single changing hands for anything up to £15 in London for 32p each. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dave Edmonds is pissed off that Tony Parsol described him as dumpy and matted in the NME and gets thrown off the tour after an altercation in Leicester. <laughs> and Ian Jury and the Blockheads are absolutely astonishing on stage and are going to be massive. Mm. Because of a dispute with the printers, the pagination has been cut down this week and regular sections are missing, which means that five and a half pages are dedicated to an article written by Pete Townsend, who takes the opportunity to talk about how shit being in The Who in 1977 is, his battle with alcoholism, how Danone is the best yoghurt in the world, but he's only ever seen it in New York, (laughs) his ongoing rows with Roger Daltrey, and bangs on about Meher Bob. Again. Uh, although, in fairness, can you imagine being in the Who in 1977? 
It's not exactly mm. peachy, I wouldn't have thought. You know what mm. I mean? You've got this mm. constant brandy headache. <laughs> your <Yeah>. ears are <laughs> permanently ringing. Uh, your drummer can't play anymore because he's so full of champagne and elephant tranquilizer. Mm. You're playing Charlton football ground in the rain while your audience <laughs> kick the shit out of each other. And they only want to hear Boris the Spider. And then you <laughs> whack a Les Paul off the stage until the, the neck separates from the body. And you have to be there on time just to look <laughs> at the ox's softening booze face. And and who are you going to complain to? Roger Daltrey. It's like he's just got off a Nautilus machine. <laughs> drinking water and eating a carrot he's golden all over and he feels like a shiny new penny you know and he only achieves peace and fulfillment through the mindless repetitive work that is literally driving you insane poor old dodgy Mm. pete you know what i mean I wonder he grew a beard. <laughs> and Tony Parsons introduces the world to polystyrene of X-ray specs. We find out that Identite was written on the spot one night in the Roxy when she was disgusted at the sight of a punkette smashing a full-length mirror because that's what she thought punks had to do. She stopped selling clothes at the King's Road market because Ted's kept smashing up her stall. Brixton is the worst place in the world for a mixed race kid to grow up in, and she doesn't like the Stranglers. <clears throat> Single reviews. Due to the printer's dispute, there is no singles page in the enemy this week, so we whip you over to that week's record mirror. And in the chair this week is Rosalind Russell, who once dropped her notebook on the floor during an interview with Grace Slick so she could check if she had a metal scepter. <laughs> her single of the week is With You by Demis Roussos. You have to hand it to old Demis. Who else would have the gall to get on stage dressed in a tent and sing silly love songs? I'm pleased he has women after him all the time. He makes beautifully romantic records and proves to all ladies that they don't have to be skinny to be sexy. A massive hit. Open brackets. Failed to chart close brackets <laughs> railway hotel by mike bat is a sensitive piece of writing that's made me go all weak at the knees i love it i hope he manages to lay the ghost of his furry friends once and for all oh yeah right mike but speaking of pete walker there's a really lousy film of his called home before midnight mm-hmm. uh from around the period we're discussing here which is a like a pseudo moralistic drama about a pop songwriter who's having an affair with a girl who turns out to be underage, even though she looks 28. Um, And this character is a a successful writer, but not the public face of a load of bubblegum hits. Mm. And his name is Mike Beresford. Now, if I'd been the similarly named Mike Bat, Mm. successful writer, but not public face of bubblegum hits most notably for the wombles much love creation of elizabeth beresford oh, exactly. yeah. i yeah, might yeah. have felt a bit uneasy about this film <laughs> um but it is a terrible film actually it's not don't start with that one the best thing about it is that it co-stars des dyer out of no Jigsaw. oh not yes, ducky des plays, 
Yeah, he plays the singer <gasps> of a pop band called Bad Accident, <laughs> which is one of the greatest fictional or non-fictional <laughs> band names ever. And the other best thing about that film, someone says to Mike Beresford, it wasn't your fault, it was the filth and degradation of our profession. <laughs> can't really argue. And it's got a cameo from Diddy David Hamilton. Good Lord. Um, but yeah, don't start your Pete Walker Odyssey with that one, really. I just don't. <laughs> but it's a coat down for orgasmatic by the Buzzcocks. Oh, hell. Good grief. Sorry, we're completely unshockable by now, and that's the only thing this single has going for it. As a song, it stinks. It has only one line to hold up the entire effort. The singer sounds less like he's having an orgasm, and more like he has a bad attack of asthma. That's that's a bit weird, isn't it? You know, you big up the bat, and you kick the cocks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I like the idea that... She just assumes the only reason for this song is to shock you. Like, it doesn't cross her mind that maybe it's supposed to be funny. I mean... Mm. Really Free by John Otway and while Willie Barrett is described as Mike Son meets Judge Dredd and the collision is not a pretty sight. That's not on this episode, Pop Crazy Youngsters. Don't get your hopes up. But, no. hang on, Mike Son meets Judge Dredd. That's Judge Dredd's version of Come Outside, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Equally short shrift is given to rip her to shreds by Blonder. <laughs> All sex and sadism, sadly little talent, says Russell. Mm. Have you seen the press advert in Record Mirror for Ripper to Shreds? Yeah. Oh, Debbie Harry in a miniskirt and over her head in massive letters, wouldn't you like to rip her to shreds? Oh, Different yeah, times. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. It's like uh, Rosalind Russell. I mean... <laughs> Why, I wonder why she was stuck on record mirror, eh? Mm. They say the championship's a tough league to get out of. But although she's meant to be a very, very good interviewer, actually. I mean, you know, it's possible that's yeah. perhaps more where her skill lay than, uh, than singles assessment. But Russell really, really hates Short People by Randy Newman. Let me tell you, Mr. Newman, I ain't too keen on you either. Keep your insults to yourself, or I'll come round here and I'll stand on a box and kick you where it hurts. Mm. Alessia have finally followed up their top ten hit with their new single, All For A Reason, but Russell doesn't reckon it. A slick production, but the song doesn't have the charm of O'Lore, even with the cutesy lisp. Sorry, doesn't cut it this time. Sweet Music Man by Kenny Rogers is sad, but not gas oven sad. Annie by Pete Townsend and Ronnie Lane is almost like a Scottish folk ballad. Little Queen by Heart is a waste of time. Anything for You by Flintlock is one of the best and most commercial singles of this week's bunch. And Guns of Navarone by the Scarterlites is the Grimethorpe Colliery Band goes Rasta. Mm. Golden Age. Back to the NME and the LP review section. It's a huge week for LPs, but only one gets a full page. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. Unfortunately, 
They've given the review to Julie Burchill. Mm. She claims that she doesn't know where bodies comes from, but it scares her, and it will be open to much misinterpretation, and it was grossly irresponsible to release it. Mm. Open to much misinterpretation by lost punk rockers, of course, Taylor. Yes, indeed. Immaculate like a terrine. Like a terrine. <laughs> I don't really know anything about music, but the Sex Pistols play as well as anyone I've heard, and I've heard Jim Hendrix and Pete Townsend records she says but she claims that Spunk the bootleg LP that also came out this week is better mm. Leonard Cohen has got together with Phil Spector for his first LP since 1974 Death of a Ladies Man and Roy Carl reckons it the teeming of the tycoon of teen and the doyen of doom has proved to be a masterful collaboration this is an album of great maturity that has succeeded because a great deal of time and talent have gone into its making from performance right through to production there are no weak links makes it sound like a bloody ford cortina (laughs) yeah and also the whole charm of that lp is that it is a peculiar weak link in leonard cohen's career Mm. there's a bit william woolard wasn't it that review yes very much so (laughs) it's getting close to christmas so out come the compilations and greatest hits by roxy music is bags it by julie burchill after sneering at the cover a gold disc and accusing Brian Ferry of lying in his lyrics she changes tack and declares it the best compilation ever this music is a precious relic not relevant anymore but at their best Roxy music were better than David Bowie than the Supremes than the Doors than the Sex Pistols than anyone I imagine I will ever hear but it's a coat down for Out of the Blue by ELO. Three. Why Why does the praying mantis eat her male partner after orgasm? Why do the Italians slaughter so many songbirds during shooting season? Why did Jeff Lynn and Electric Light Orchestra sell so many albums? Asks Angus McKinnon. Out of the Blue celebrates nothing but its own artifice. It will naturally sell the requisite billion and more. It scares me to the bone marrow. I think worse than to be scared of in 1977, but uh, mm. I think the idea of celebrating your own artifice sounds pretty good to me. So this is the modern world i'm glad they told me for an instant i thought i'd been transported to 1965 writes mcfarren of this is the modern world the second lp by the jam he then spends the rest of the piece having a gargantuan mod on about paul weller singing that he doesn't give two fucks about his review on the title track and only mentions one other song in the street today which he doesn't like it's fair enough though that he's fucking hilarious in that song the way Paul Weller goes I don't give two fucks about your review yeah I can tell (laughs) (laughs) volume six of Sing Along a Freddy turns out to be a good deal less limp than the current hit single might suggest says Bob Edmonds of News of the World by Queen 
But unhappily, the first two tracks are the songs on the single, We Are The Champions and We Will Rock You, with May and Mercury evidently vying with each other to outdo Rod Stewart's sailing and create new anthems for chucking out time. Once they're out of the way, however, Edmonds contends that this is an LP which, quote, rips out of the speakers in a way that makes communication sound broken down. In many ways, this is the most intriguing Queen album since their finest, Sheer Heart Attack. Whether all the obvious tension within the band will spur them onto greater things or simply pull them apart remains to be seen. And Spectres by Blue Oyster Cult is their most cerebral LP yet and absolutely flawless, according to Paul Rambali, while Monty Smith reckons that Slow Hand by Eric Clapton is dismal stuff. Yeah, fuck off, Eric Clapton. Mm. I bet Jimi Hendrix's anti-vaccination single would have been miles better than yours. <laughs> In the gig guide, well, David could have seen the Stranglers and the Dictators at the Roundhouse, Elton John at Wembley Empire Pool, Shaking Stevens and the Sunsets at the Covent Garden Rock Garden, Mungo Jerry at the Music Machine, Dire Straits at the Hope and Anchor, Wire at the Rochester Castle in Stoke Newington, Slim Whitman at the Palladium, or show Waddy Waddy at Hammersmith Odeon, but probably didn't. I'd probably have gone and see Mungo Jerry when I was 15 yeah. at that point, of that lot, mm. given that choice. Didn't, I wouldn't yeah. have known who Y were. Um, yeah. Just reaching their peak in 1977. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor could have seen the Tom Robinson band at Barbarella's, Darts at Aston University, the Steve Gibbons band at Barbarella's, Kenny Rogers and Crystal Gale at the Birmingham Hippodrome, X-Ray Specs at Barbarella's, or Barbara Dixon at the Birmingham Town Hall. Oh, Birmingham, the centre of the world this week. Mm. Boston. <laughs> Neil could have seen Caravan at Warwick University, the Four Tops at Coventry Theatre, the Clash and Richard Hell and the Voidords at the Locarno, or plunged into Wolverhampton to see Smoker at the Civic Hall. Sarah could have seen Van de Graaff Generator at Hull University, Sham 69 at the F Club in Leeds, The Runaways and 999 at Sheffield City Hall, Jasper Carrot at Sheffield University, Generation X at the Doncaster Outlook Club, or Gary Glitter at Bradford St George's Hall. Al could have seen Burning Spear at the Palais, or nipped out to Darbet to see The Clash and Richard Hell and the Voidoids at the King's Hall, or XTC at Blue Blows in Colville. And Simon could have seen The Drifters at Aberyst with Great Hall, The Adverts at the Cardiff Top Rank, or Max Boyce at the Stone League Club in Porth Call. While you were just reading those out, I just looked out my window and a dog went past <laughs> with a collar on, an owner just wondering well there we go were there any punk rockers chasing after him yeah (laughs) it was like the Benny Hill show there was a whole queue of them just going round and round and round in the letters page Neil Spencer is in the chair for gas bag this week and the main topic of conversation is the other week's clash gig at the Ulster Hall in Belfast which was cancelled at the last minute due to the promoters being unable to get insurance cover 
Still not having a clue at what was happening, a large crowd of punks gathered outside the venue. They spilled out into the road, and so cars, etc. had difficulty getting through. A few of the more pissed punks started to stop the cars in protest, which is when the real aggro began, writes A. Greer from local fanzine Private World. Frantic pogoing broke out in the road, and when the Brits pulled up in their jeep, they called for the pigs to get us out of the way. When the RUC came, they came in force and charged straight into them with batons drawn. When we could, we got out of the scene and went round to the Europa Hotel and tried to see the band. We saw Joe Strummer, the great prophet of repression and society's failure, on the inside. This made a lot of people angry but what really got my blood up was when he deliberately turned his back on us <laughs> all caps i mean i can understand being a little bit pissed off with the very out of character behavior of the ruc there but i like how mm. they're just outraged that the clash are staying in a hotel in <laughs> belfast <laughs> like rather than yeah. choosing to bed down in the comba greenway just yeah just wrapped mm. up in a in a coat with urban threat stenciled on the front you call yourself punk rock <laughs> you sleep in beds uh, yeah i bet bad accident would have slept out on the yeah, streets no, no, you humped a minor that's death to a band like bad accident <laughs> that's what someone says to mike uh, ba- ba- beresford i hope the smug little bastard at the insurance company feels at ease with himself knowing exactly what he's done writes ian duncan communications officer of northern ireland polytechnic the promoters of the gig in the meantime, we'll have to pay the clash and sew up all the holes, and that will take £2,000 we can't afford. I feel sorry for the social secretary, sorry for the poly, but most of all sorry for the innocent kids of Belfast who just wanted to have a good time and escape reality for a little while. Bad move, go to see the clash if you want to escape reality. <laughs> a bit of escapism for you. <laughs> I say, you jolly chaps, what a load of jolly old cobblers the old old gnarled grey whistle test thing he is and that hairy rabbit teeth chappy harris is quite revolting says rupert ponsonby farquhar smith of olden possibly not real name let's have some jolly old new wave weekly pop program instead of some poncing old hippies with cobwebs strewn around their personas Hmm. it's been two weeks since leonard skinner's plane crashed and the readership are paying tribute no smart ass one-liners, just a big thank you to Ronnie Van Zant, Steve Gaines, Cassie Gaines, and all the rest of Leonard Skinner, who have given me so much pleasure in the last few years, both on stage and on record, writes Ian Wilson. Dear Ronnie Van Zant, when you get up there and see Elvis on his gilt throne, munching his way to eternal obesity at his private pizza parlour, give him a good boot from us all i'll tell you who was fucking king says hapadiep melv of the cambridge corn exchange appreciation society <laughs> fucking so much death in late 1977 people forget about mm. Leonard skinnard mm. julie birchill and tony parsons have announced their engagement but the two letters printed are too boring to read out why would you announce that mm. like if if i was Working on a music paper when I was getting engaged. To Neil, for example. To Neil, yeah. I, was, uh, I wouldn't feel it was worth telling anybody about this. You know, why? It's court circular. <laughs> An angry feminist from Edinburgh has a cob on with the Stranglers for their outdated lyrics about women. 
A short-haired working-class student living on a minimum grant from Nottingham points out the similarity between something better changed by the Stranglers and we're not going to take it by the who. And Kev Bisco reckons the new Sex Pistols LP should be called Never Mind the Fans. Here's the singles again. (laughs) 44 pages, 18 pence. I never knew there was so much in it, even though there wasn't so much in it this week. (laughs) Didn't cost me fucking 18p off ebay let me tell you that fucking hell yeah. 1977 nmes go at a premium good grief mm. so you you got to hear that pete townsend likes danon who danon yeah. <laughs> so dear boys what else was on telly today well bbc one kicks off at 9:41 with a quick blast of schools and colleges programs and then has a 10 minute break before displaying a caption for an hour which reads because of an industrial dispute we are unable to cover the state opening of parliament fucking hell thank god you weren't watching that at the time with your crayon and your <laughs> antenna <laughs> well yeah it could have been worse if it had been on and look around i've just written black rod on the carpet yeah i didn't think they had cameras in uh parliament in 1977 no it, it would film them going in and out right yeah then it's the school's program milestones in working class history oh i think that was one of them just then <laughs> After a 15-minute close-down, it's on the move. The midday news, Pebble Mill at one, heads and tails, you and me, and more schools and colleges programmes. And then it closes down for another 53 minutes. After regional news in your area, it's Play School and Lippy the Lion and Hardy Ha Ha. Then Michael Jaston reads The Edge of Evening by Nicholas Stewart Gray and Jack Anore. That's followed by Charlie Brown, John Craven's News Round, then John Noakes and Leslie Judd get to sit in an open carriage being pulled down the mall while wearing the actual coronation robes and some coronets in Blue Peter. Fucking hell. Mm. I bet you any money the magpie wouldn't have had permission to do that. Or no. Pauline Quirk and Flintlock. No. Going down the mall. Wrong so wrong <laughs> after Noah and Nella it's the evening news followed by a caption of Bob Wellings which reads because of an industrial dispute we are unable to broadcast nationwide yeah. and they've just finished the usual gaze into the future in tomorrow's world BBC Two commences at 11 with 40 minutes of schools and colleges programmes, then play school, and then shuts down for six hours and five minutes. Coming back with Open University, the news on two headlines, and they're currently five minutes into your move. The Brian Redhead Adult Reading and Writing Show with special guests Sheila Hancock and Roy Kinnear. They've got On The Move, and then you've got Your Move yeah. on practice at the same time. Yeah, getting people ready for CFAX, David. Yeah. <laughs> ITV starts at 9.30 with two and a half hours of schools programmes. Then here we come to Popland, here we come to Popland for a heavy session with Animal Quackers. <laughs> they didn't go punk at all, did they, Animal Quackers? They were terrifying enough, I mm. think. Yeah, yeah. Then top off... The emo monkey is the only one in Pipkins who hasn't got a place of his own by the top of someone's wardrobe. So Hartley Hare, Pig and Octavia make him a treehouse in Pipkins. 
After the special child, where Dr. Kenneth Day looks at schooling and adult facilities that are available to the mentally handicapped, it's the news at one, followed by This Is Your Right, where Lord Wynne Stanley answers legal problems sent in by owners. Then it's Crown Court, then Afternoon with Mavis Nicholson, and then Agro breaks out at a wedding between the groom and the bride's ex in the Midlands police drama Hunter's Walk. Graham Kerr shows us how to make Calchas Amsterdam in the Galloping Gourmet, and I have no idea what that is at all, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, you're just the first sort of celebrity chef. Oh, I know who he is. I don't know what Calchas Amsterdam is. Oh, sorry, God, I thought I was, I was going to say, God, I don't know. Probably got that. drugs in it. Yeah. I don't think I'd have to stub-splain um, the Galloping Gourmet to Al Needham. No. My apologies. God, no. Then it's the cedar tree, little ass on the prairie, a second chance to see it's your right, and Meg Mortimer is badly in crossroads. <laughs> After the news at 5.45, it's regional news in your area, Emmerdale Farm, and they've just started the Bionic Woman, where Jamie Summers battles a robot replica of herself by, I don't know, squeezing a tennis ball until it bursts again. <laughs> I mean, I cast aspersions on that many a time and often on chart music, but, you know, when you think about it, it's actually quite clever because, you know, whenever the lads on the school playground started jeering the girls about the obvious inferiority of the bionic woman, you know, because mm. after all, she can, she can only just listen and squeeze a tennis ball, one of us <laughs> would be drawn into proving how easy it was to burst a tennis ball and, you know, you'd come off looking like a right twat, so, you know. Was that a special <laughs> power? You've got to be Jeff Capes to do that. Yeah, well, it was in the opening credits, well, wasn't she, it? She squeezed a tennis no, ball no, and it I, burst. the fact that the Barnet woman was very good at listening. <laughs> oh, yeah, she <laughs> kind of like... Pull back her flick back hair and cock a tab. <laughs> That's uh, brilliant. Yeah, and I think yeah. some waves. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah she could, that, you yeah. make six cakes at once. Yes. <laughs> no, I say, why isn't there a bionic man? <laughs> and that, chaps, I believe, sets the table quite nicely for this episode of Charm Music that we're, we're going to delve into over the next few hours, don't you think? Oh, very much so. I'm feeling, I'm yeah. feeling 1977. Yeah. So, pop crazy youngsters, we're going to leave it there and we're going to come back tomorrow to begin our odyssey into the episode marked November the 3rd, 1977. It's a big one, trust me lot to talk about in this one so we'll leave it till then thank you very much david stubbs thank you tar ever so taylor parks all right my name's al needham and i advise you very strongly to stay pop crazed <laughs> chart music great big Love football? Can't wait for the season to hit its stride? Salivate over Super Sunday? Well, this podcast is probably not for you. If, however, you're tired of the hype, but part of you still loves the game, you could try the famous sloping pitch from Great Big Owl with Chris England, Nick Hancock and guests. The famous sloping pitch. It's a podcast about football, not market traders. 